Welcome to Exposing Your High School Reading List. This podcast is dedicated to unpacking and improving the high school English curriculum. This episode, we would like to talk about the classics, the old guys. Why do we spend so much time on these, and what is their merit or value beyond the fact that they are the classics? Trademark. (laughs) (laughs) All right, for our little icebreaker today, we're going to talk about our favorite superheroes. All right, well, I'm Greta. Favorite superhero is a classic, Wonder Woman. Always a good choice. This is Lauren. My favorite superhero is Captain Marvel. I'm Becca, and my favorite superhero for almost 10 years now has been She-Hulk, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. (laughs) I'm Elise. I'm less a superhero person, so I guess my two favorite are The Beak, as in like from Phineas and Ferb. That's a valid choice. Excellent. And uh, Shazam, because I love Zachary Levi like sure. a lot, like so much. Excellent choices. Thank Excellent. You. In this essay, you will. <laughs> In this essay, I will talk to you about every single role that Zachary Levi has <laughs> Chuck, oh my God. In this essay, you will tell us the entire plot of Phineas and Ferb from start to end. Oh my God, I could That's do that. That's a different podcast. <laughs> That's a different podcast. Well, you see, there's 104 days of summer vacation, except there are way more Just to end it. Yes. You got it. Carry the platypus. I don't know what else you want from me. This is not the old guys. We're going to talk about the old guys now. The new guys. Okay, so our our main three texts that we're talking about today are The Odyssey, Canterbury Tales, and Beowulf. And I read all three, or at the very least, I read snippets of all three. And you might be thinking, well, Elise, Beowulf is not in English. It's in Old English, and that's a very different language. I hear you. Yes. <laughs> we did look at some old actual texts of Old English Beowulf and did some translating. That was miserable, but really interesting. What grade was that? That was junior year. That was in my Brit Lit class. Okay. I was afraid you were going to say freshman year. <laughs> <laughs> I would have dropped out right oh, then yeah. and there. No, it would have been really difficult, especially had I not had the teacher I had. But do I remember stuff from these things? We'll see. Um, I think... Did we all read the Odyssey in freshman year? I have not no. read the Odyssey. You didn't. No. Greta didn't read the Odyssey. I read the Odyssey as part of one of my Latin classes last year. Ooh, okay. interesting. I read the Odyssey freshman year of high school. It is the only one of these three classics that I've read. So that is my only expertise on this episode. Ooh. Thanks so much. <laughs> That's okay. You summon for Greta. It's great. Yep. <laughs> we all even each other out. The Odyssey was read by 46.3% of our survey takers, Beowulf by 26.9%, and the Canterbury Tales by 21.3%. And again, this information comes from our survey, which you can take. That is linked, pinned on our Instagram and Twitter, and it is linked on our website. So listen for those plugs later at the end of the episode. But clearly a lot of people read the Odyssey. Now, I don't remember exactly if I tried to read the whole thing or if we just read like the books or whatever they were separated into, but it was difficult. I was not ready for that. I don't even know if I could read it now. No, it's an insanely difficult piece. And I think that the way it's taught could definitely be improved. I remember reading a lot of it as homework, which already is pretty hard for me. Sometimes it's hard to just make myself read books for class on my own time which is something I've definitely gotten better at. But also, I think that's a book that should be read in class as a group so that kids can ask questions as they're reading it and better comprehend the material. And, I mean, it doesn't help that 
the Odyssey isn't actually like a book, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, it's poetry and it's not presented in that way in class if from, if what you guys have told me is true. Yeah, it's not at all. It's like, here's this book and like, it's going to be hard, but uh, suck it up and read it was basically the way that they framed it to all of the freshmen in my high school. It was not ideal. And, you know, at that point, we had we had not done poetry at all. I didn't learn how to, like, dissect poetry until junior or senior year of high school, which, you know. But trying to read the Odyssey at night on my own when I had undiagnosed ADHD <laughs> just makes it – and, you know, it, people who don't have any learning disabilities – also have a lot of trouble because it's just really inaccessible. Yeah, and some of the teachers at my school also, it almost felt like they were punishing kids for trying to make them accessible. Some people found, there's there's a graphic novel adaptation of the Odyssey, and so some kids would read that, I believe, in tandem with the actual required text. That way they have the visual aids, they can really see everything clearly on the page in ways that they maybe can't visualize it when they're reading the epic itself. But teachers would get mad at kids for using this, kind of similar in the way that they would be very anti-spark notes, even as a learning aid. Rather, I think they only see it as something that the kids are doing, like... To cheat. Yes. Yeah. I think they see it as the kids, like, only or main mode of reading or familiarizing themselves with the text, which even then, if you just physically cannot do the book, I don't think that's necessarily... A bad thing right it's better to, to have something than to have nothing but that's so crazy because like I remember that too I remember them being like oh don't spark notes it you're not gonna get anything out of it you're gonna, you know but now as I read other dense things as a college senior as I read French things reading French plays from the 17th century I have to and should go to a Wikipedia summary of the scene before I read it. So I know who the characters are. I know what's going on. I can actually understand the context of the scene so that I can catch little details. And it's otherwise, I just, I can't pull the story together in my brain. It doesn't work. I mean, when we do Latin texts, especially with Professor John Gruber Miller, he's amazing, he has us read copies of it where on one side it's the Latin and on one side it's the English and so you try first to understand the Latin and then you read the English and then you redo the Latin with the context so that you actually are learning and I I don't understand why high school teachers seem to think that having these learning aids is cheating or a shortcut or you're not really doing the work Mm -hmm. and I would like to say like not all high school English teachers are like yes not all just generally that seems to be the consensus particularly with the responses that we've gotten in the survey is just you know any sort of reading aid is seen as cheating and it's just not right because the whole point is that you you take in the story and you take in the story in whatever way you can you're trying right that's the point and that's why you know we're going to do a whole episode on reading comprehension tests like at some point because it's just it just makes you miserable because it's like yeah. no matter how hard you try, if those are not the details that you're catching when you're reading, you're not going to get a good grade on it. And then that's that's a whole other thing. Right. So accessibility isn't cheating. Right. Period. Period. Done. Period. <laughs> OK. End, End of episode. <laughs> no, roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Right. So one of the things that we did do with the Odyssey 
is we did a project. So I'll tell you what I remember from that project. And then if you guys have other things that you did with any of the texts, just to kind of like boost your learning. So we did like, we made puppets. Oh. And like, it, it was really weird because I remember it was one of those things where like, you know, in elementary school, you'd, come, you'd go up to like your parents and you'd be like, I'm so sorry, but I have this thing that's due tomorrow and I forgot about it. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And then your parents are like, <laughs> and then they drive you to walmart at 9 p.m right yeah i don't think i think we had school supplies in the closet we just had to dig them out you know but i remember like cutting them out putting them in popsicle sticks and like that was the only scene that i understood like what was going on because i actually like dove into it with the intention of writing kind of a fake script right writing plain language for this particular scene with the one wind guy i remember that <laughs> I don't know. There was stuff going on. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, this didn't stick with me that well, but I remember more of that than other parts of it, except for the nobody thing. Oh, Mm -hmm. of course. Which I think is just iconic. And it gets it gets referenced in a lot of other things, which we will talk about shortly. But first, other projects and things that you did with any of these old texts, guys? Uh, I do have a project for Canterbury Tales, but first, a fun fact about the word nobody. In Latin, Nemo is nobody, so finding Nemo is actually finding nobody, and I think it's hilarious. That's awkward. But for Canterbury Tales, I had a book report on it in high school. I don't remember what year. All I remember is I got very sick during while we were supposed to be working on it. So I read almost the entire book in one night. And I was so angry because I had stayed up all night wanting to find who's going to win this contest. Who's going to tell the best story? Why are we here? What's happening? And we don't even get all of the characters' stories before the book ends because they are like, oh, we see the city in the distance. Boom. And I was so angry. And it was for several years afterwards that I would tell everyone Chaucer was so awful. I didn't understand why he was a classic because he couldn't even finish his book until my cousin told me he died writing it. (laughs) I feel like that's important class context that maybe you just missed because you were sick. That is very possible. I would hope that's the case. I would hope so. I hope somebody was told in my class and then they just didn't want to embarrass me. Like, that's the best case scenario. Yeah. Other projects? I don't remember any specific projects about the Odyssey. I'm certain we did some. It was probably like poster making. That was like one of the big ones that we mm. did. But I don't. Now that you say I that, know. I feel like I did something with posters for the Odyssey, but I don't remember. So clearly that one didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember my sister got to dress up as a Greek goddess for one of her classes and do a poster. Ooh. And she was so mad about it. And I was like, what? I'm jealous. <laughs> I would love that. Right? Let me dress up as Athena. Artemis? My God. Oh, Oh my God. (laughs) You'd make a great Artemis. You would. Thank you. (laughs) Fun fact. So, since I have a twin, Eli, we frequently throughout our childhood, like, aligned ourselves with, like, Artemis and Apollo. So, at least what we knew about them from reading, like, Percy Jackson. Slash, like, our loose understanding of some of the Greek myths. So, anyways, I love to be uh, related to Artemis. Greta, did you do any projects, any activities, anything? Uh, well, the only one of these that we really did in my British literature course was 
uh, Beowulf because it was the first example of English literature that we right. have. Right, that's what we did too. Yeah, and you know I can't remember any specific projects that we did. It was we we all read Beowulf in class together, and we would go around the room, kind of taking turns with reading it, which which I did think was nice because like one our teacher was there to help us you know, kind of analyze things that we didn't understand right away. And we just got to have, like, these really fun conversations about, like, these monsters that kept showing up that Beowulf was was fighting. And so I actually had a pretty decent experience with Beowulf, minus, you know, just being handed the old English and being told, like, figure out what this means, you know, as, like, a little bit of a joke on my teacher's part. I think it was, like, it was, like, you read this and then tell me what it's about and write me a paper. And, like, of course, he didn't actually expect us to write a paper, but, like... For a moment there, I thought you were going to say, but I did. No, but I did. (laughs) Yeah, no. Like, not to brag, I'm now now actually fluent in old English, so... (laughs) It's a 30-page paper. Yeah. I would just like to say that, you know, when we were preparing for this episode, we did what we have to do for this because we don't have time to reread all of these things. And I went to Sparknotes for Beowulf. This part on Sparknotes says, Grendel's mother, a swamp hag who lives in a desolate lake. Nice. And I think that that ain't me. I, I know. I really, I really identified with that moment, I think. I have never read Beowulf and now I really want to. It's not, it's like, it's, uh, that, that makes it sound really fun. Like it's, even the translations are pretty, pretty dense, but yeah, I think the the thing that I liked about when we did Beowulf in my Brit Lit class was not having to read it on our own because that would have been real bad. Yeah. And, you know, we had some interesting discussions about how the archetype of the hero, the trajectory of that in general. But, like, you know, I don't know, Greta, if your your teacher had anything in particular to say about it, about why we're reading it, other than just, like, it's the original yeah i mean that was really it it was like oh this is the first piece of english literature we have so it's our starting point Mm -hmm. Um, and that was kind of like the importance of it which like in some capacity i get because like okay we have to have like an origin right Mm -hmm. but also like if it doesn't have any context any literary context and uh value outside of that you know what's the purpose so i don't know I have a question as someone who has not read Beowulf. Yes. Is this where we get the hero's journey from? Or is that is it different? I don't know if it's the origin of the hero's journey. Right, because before there was written text, right, stories were told. Right. So if it is, right, and I'd have to go back and really dive in <laughs> to the plot again to tell you, but if it is the the hero's journey, then... I guess it it would be as far yeah. as like written yeah, English guess, text goes. I guess the origin isn't exactly what I'm going for, but at least if I were like the scholar who was like, this is the hero's journey, it would definitely be easier for me to like pinpoint that on like a written document mm-hmm. versus like oral stories. Right. But obviously there's still a whole lot of value to oral stories. Oh, we, lo- so we love I just, oral stories. Yeah, want to want to put a disclaimer out there. I'm not bashing oral stories. I'm just saying that for the way that I obtain information, written is probably the only way I would have been able to kind of pinpoint that that cycle and kind of how common it is among stories. Yeah, and I think it's entirely possible that you know it 
was the origin of the hero's journey, at least in English literature, and definitely uh, by way of, of written English literature. But if so, you know, I, I don't think it was framed that way in my education. I assume not in yours either, Elise. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to remember. And honestly, at my high school English teachers, if you want to send me the syllabus, <laughs> like, I think that would be really helpful. We would like to understand. We would like to, I'd like to remember because I don't. Like, honestly, right, there was so much going on. <laughs> it was years ago, right? Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a senior in college now. That was junior year of high school. I was a completely different person. So from what I remember, it was like, this is really cool because this is the oldest thing that we have of Old English. And we spent a lot of time talking about how Old English is, is different and how like people will call Shakespeare English Old English, and that's not true. But, you know, when most people are talking, we understand what they mean by Shakespeare Old English. Could you imagine if we had to read Shakespeare in Old English? Oh. <laughs> it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. But it, I remember being really interested by the concept of Old English. Um, and that makes sense for me, right? Language major, this tracks. But, you know, other than talking about the figure of the the monster and that he kills the monster's mother. I don't True. remember that much. I remember learning what the word Dane meant. I remember <laughs> I remember the like talking about like mead and other things that they would yeah. have been like drinking and eating because there's like a feast yeah. scene, right? Yeah, because it's like a celebration after they kill Grendel and stuff yeah. and then that's when the mother comes. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, poke the bear. <laughs> Yeah, so so I guess, you know, if if we're tracing a trajectory of British literature, teaching Beowulf makes sense. Don't do a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's it's really hard to to read that much of it even the translated from old English, older English, you know, it's yeah. still hard. But I believe we did Canterbury Tales right after that because we were kind of doing a timeline. A timeline yeah. sort of thing, which made it really interesting. But there were so many characters. And I remember my teacher really trying to give us like a score sheet or something. Like we, we had to write something down for notes to keep track of a bunch of people. I think at my junior year teacher, if I'm wrong, I'm so sorry. But it was so hard to keep track of everybody. And I don't remember that much about it. Other than that, we had to read some of it, not all of it. And it took a long time, and I didn't really understand why we were doing it other than this is the next thing. Yeah, and I also, like, I we mentioned, we, like, touched on the Canterbury Tales after Beowulf. We didn't really read it. We read, like, one, one person's story or something, I think, and then moved on. And, you know, I think doing something like that is okay. But, again, it was, it was that same thing where you're not giving any real context for like why you're doing it besides that it's old and especially Lauren like you know your experience with like not realizing that Chaucer died in the middle of it and you being upset at the ending right yeah. like I mean you know not to say that like all literature like doesn't have a purpose unless there's an ending but like why why are we reading this and like what is the significance of it if you know it's not complete and we can't talk about it with in the greater context of English literature because it's not complete. So I don't know. I guess for me, the Canterbury Tales doesn't hold a lot of weight within the English curriculum, and I don't think it should. 
because it feels like we're just kind of clinging on to it as like, a, oh yeah, this is this is old <laughs> kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think in this regard, it's very important to contextualize the books that we're reading and at least kind of bring in any modern significance of it. I haven't read Canterbury Tales or Beowulf, so I can't really speak to that as much. But if we do really bring in, I don't know if there is any scholarship on whether or not it is, you know, again, the origin of like the hero's journey or anything, but maybe at least bringing that up as something to think about. And with the Odyssey in particular, because that's the one that I have read, I think maybe mentioning how that, like some of Shakespeare's stories, come back in modern texts. It's a bit more overt than Shakespeare's because a lot of the characters kind of like stick around. I know like the Percy Jackson books that most of us read as kids. And that's, you know, kind of an evergreen thing, at least at this point, because there were the movies that came out a little while afterwards. There's a show that's coming out in a few years. So that story is sticking around. And I know elements of it pop up. Elements from the Iliad and the Odyssey both pop up in Percy Jackson. Some ways are more overt than others. I think Percy might, Percy does meet Circe. She's given a different name. It's like Cece. But like bringing up the Iliad, like there's a scene in one of the final Percy Jackson books that mirrors Achilles and Patroclus, but it's completely different characters. But you wouldn't necessarily know that that's what was happening if you haven't read the Iliad which doesn't necessarily take away from the book, but I think adding it just really makes it a richer story. And on top of that, Greek mythology is just kind of really in right now, which I'm a fan of because I love all of the reimaginings happening. But I know Madeline Miller's books in particular are really popular. So she has Circe, which is just a retelling of her aspect of the Odyssey. It adds some elements and it really humanizes her as a character because in the Odyssey, really all we see is like, oh, there's this evil witch who's turning people to pigs and... Odysseus has to be really smart and get her to change them back but otherwise she's just this like evil hag that like he maybe sleeps with um Mm -hmm. meanwhile in the book Circe we get to see kind of why she is as callous as she's depicted and how like men keep ending up on her island and kind of pillaging all of her stuff and assaulting her so in order to protect herself from this she turns them into pigs because at this point she knows that these men will likely do this to her. So I think kind of bringing in these more modern texts and contextualizing it that way and being like, these stories still come back can just be a really interesting way to keep kids engaged and maybe have them look for things, look for connections that they're familiar with. Another interesting modern retelling that I've been seeing is there is a group on TikTok who are turning the Odyssey into a musical. Oh, it's epic. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's called Epic the Musical on TikTok. That sounds great. It's been really, really cool. I think they sh- high school English curriculum should adopt that and to it. Okay, so one question. <laughs> why do we read it, if we read it in high school, why do we read it so young? Why do we read it as, as freshmen and not later? We had some, some survey comments about, I reread this later and I really enjoyed it a lot more. And there was another quote about... Um, I wasn't ready to read this when I was 14. Right. I have a quote here, again, from our survey. It says, I did a whole project in college about how much I hate that we only read the classics in high school English. I have a really hard time comprehending old English, and I didn't read most of these because of that. And again, we don't know for sure that this actually means old English, because that's a much different thing and really hard to read, kind of going back to Elise's point of when they did kind of experiment with it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but whether it's old English in the strict definition of it or 
older English as in things, yeah, English. Shakespeare, right. <laughs> things that we're not used to hearing. It just makes it inaccessible. It just makes it difficult for students, especially when, you know, there's not a lot of help, especially if it's a student reading at home on their own. It makes it sometimes impossible, especially if you add in almost a threat about like, if you read the spark notes, like you're going to fail the comprehension test or whatever. And I think that, you know, to an- to go back to your question, Elise, I think it one reason that makes sense to me why it would be taught to 14 and 15 year olds, you know, or like early on in high school is that they, they see that there's this interest in, you know, in fantasy and like this, you know, the hero's adventure, that kind of stuff. I mean, like think of all of the books that, that we were uh, reading in, in like middle school, right. Leading up a lot of those are fantasy or dystopia or, you know, things like that, where we're actively following a hero's journey. And so I think it's their way of trying to relate to us and say, okay, well, here's, you know, one of the original hero's journey following Odysseus. But it just doesn't, we, we don't bridge that gap mm-hmm. um, quite fully because there is kind of this looking down upon the literature that, that we read when we were in middle school and early high school. And this idea that you can't consume both at the same time because books like The Odyssey are always going to be uh, superior, right? And that's obviously its own problem. It's obviously right. problematic in and of itself. But I, I do think that the idea of teaching it to us at that young of an age probably comes from a good a good place on the part of our English teachers. They're they're trying to get us to enjoy like this more fantasy stuff as opposed to jumping right into, I don't know, Chaucer. <laughs> yeah. I really wish he had finished the Canterbury Tales. I was so invested. Mm-hmm. I remember while I was reading it, I would keep a tally of who I thought was telling the best stories. And I remember hating the monk. I don't know why, but the monk and the knight are the only two characters I remember by name. And I don't remember if it's because I loved or hated their stories. <laughs> sure, sure. All right. And as we wrap up, we want to hear from you. Do you see value in reading this younger or would you rather wait until you're older and can maybe have more tools to comprehend it? And teachers, if you could change the curriculum, would you introduce this later or how would you differently contextualize it to better help your students? All right, and you can let us know these things by finding us on social media at EYRL Podcast. That's EYRL Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. So reply to any of our tweets, tweet at us, comment on our Instagram posts. We want to hear from you. Uh, And we also have our website now. That is EYRLpodcast.wordpress.com. You can shoot us an email at podcasteyrl at gmail.com. So that one's flipped. And you can still participate in our survey. Again, that is pinned to our Twitter. It is pinned on our Instagram. It is linked on our site. We just want to hear from you. We want your opinions. We want your thoughts. Tell us your answer to our icebreaker of the day. We want to know. And once again, thank you so much for listening to Exposing Your High School Reading List.